Wow, this is going to be interesting today. Here we go. Uh, we jumped into a message last week where actually when I started writing the message, I realized that I had two messages. And so uh, I didn't have like a really great creative opening story for today uh, to lead us back into kind of part two of this message. Um, so I'm just going to summarize where we've, we've been. Um, I want us to remember that you and I are in the middle of a love story, the story that God is writing, the kingdom of God. It is a love story, um, but it is a love story that is set in the middle of a great battle. There is an enemy, and there is our God, and they have two polar opposite desires for us. See, Jesus said that I have come that you may have what? Life and life to the full, more abundantly in John 10, 10. And he also tells us that there is an enemy that Satan has come to, anyone know? Steal, kill, and destroy. These are the intentions of the characters in the story. The battle is over our hearts. See, the enemy wants to pull us away from God. The enemy knows that he cannot destroy God. He cannot defeat God. So he goes after the object of God's love, which is you and me. And so we do pay attention to the fact that there is an enemy in the story. Now, some people would say, why would you bother talking about, you know, the devil or Satan? And, you know, we don't spend a lot of time talking about the enemy. Maybe we don't spend enough time um, because C.S. Lewis, as I mentioned last week, says we make two errors when it comes to talking about the devil. One side is that we don't talk about the devil at all. We ignore him or believe that he doesn't exist as a character in the story. That's one mistake we made. Or we go to the other side and it's all we focus on are fixated on. And I tell you what, the enemy is happy with either one. Because if we are fixated on the enemy, it's like worshiping him because we're giving all our attention and control or power to the enemy. Or if we ignore him, then he operates freely and we begin to believe that everything that happens is merely the will of God, that there is no evil in the story. There is no, there is no fallen world. It's all God's fault. It was his plan. And so we want to make sure that we account for the enemy. And we looked at some scriptures last week um, about why it's important to do that. If you want to listen back, if you weren't here, but I think especially in the day that we are in right now, with the uncertainty of, of COVID, with the, with the financial stress, with the politics, with the racial tensions, with everything going on, sometimes it is so overwhelming that we just want to shut down. And by the way, unplugging is a good idea. Um, none of us are able to continually stay in all of these issues and give them our attention without feeling some sort of fatigue. But oftentimes when we've gone past that point and we're so exhausted from the world we live in, we can really quickly begin to wonder, maybe unconsciously, is the heart of God really good? Does he see what's going on? Does he even care? I mean, is, is his heart good? Can he be trusted? And this is where the enemy comes in, right? The enemy just partners with that confusion or discouragement and wants us to continue to believe those things to lead us down this path where we will be even more distant from God because we've built walls in our hearts. And so some, today I want to explore a couple of the ways that the enemy uh, uses to try and distract us from walking with God, from living the life that God has for you and I. Now we've gotten to this teaching this week on a kind of interesting path. We are in a series called The Upside Down Message of Jesus, 
where we are looking at the Beatitudes. And so we've gone along, and each week we've camped out on one of them, and we've gotten to the fourth one for the last number of weeks. Matthew 5, chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew 5, verse 6. Let's just read the one verse out loud together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And it was these first couple words here, hunger and thirst, that led us down the trail to a chapter before this passage. Um, I believe Jim had mentioned it a while back, and, and I just could not get my mind out of this. In Matthew chapter 4, right before Jesus teaches this, we find that he has been tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And he had fasted for 40 days out in the desert. He was hungry. He was thirsty. So I think that had to be attached to part of this hungering and thirsting. Like he had a real experience to attach what hungering and thirsting looked like. And so um, we have started looking. We looked last week and we'll finish up this week looking at this role of the enemy when it comes to our hunger and our thirst um, and, and how he tried to attack Jesus because the enemy will attack you and I in many of these same ways, and at least in the three ways of these temptations right here. And we do not want to be unaware. Like, it helps to be aware. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, For we are not unaware of his schemes. And I go, we're not? Like, what are, what are his schemes? Like, it, oftentimes, I think because we don't talk about it at all, we are not aware of the schemes of the enemy, but, but the Apostle Paul is pointing out we need to be aware so that we can be alert and paying attention so they don't come in and, and, and sweep the leg. Because the enemy is a real character in the story. But even as I say that, I want to remind us right up front that we do not need to be afraid of the enemy. Nowhere does it say that you and I need to be afraid of Satan, of the devil. We need to be aware. Not afraid, but Aware, because the awareness helps us to see the enemy's intention. We are aware that his intent, his intention, his intention is to draw us away from the heart of God. That is what he is up to, and he uses bait to do it. We talked about that last week, and in fact, in the story that we started last week, um, there are three different scenes, and we just hit the first one. So I want to look at these three scenes this week, the strategies of the enemy out of these three. Uh, schemes, And let's just start by reading Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, interesting, by the Spirit. Spirit is the one that led Jesus out into the wilderness, to the desert, to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, understatement of the Bible here. He was hungry, right? 40 days, 40, he was hungry, yeah. Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, <laughs> like... If you're the son of God, first of all, he's attacking Jesus' identity because the chapter before this, Jesus had just been baptized. And the father said to him, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased for everyone to hear. So the enemy goes, probably heard it, right? He says, if, <laughs> if you are who you say you are, then tell these stones to become bread, right? If you're the son of God, just, just. Make these things into bread. Just You don't have to be hungry anymore, Jesus. Verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, this is really interesting, and I'm only going to touch on this one because the entire message last week was on this one. But just notice this. 
the enemy comes with a temptation, Jesus responds, he answers the enemy with scripture. This is actually a verse out of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, where Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone. And it's interesting and worth paying attention to that, that what Jesus did is not to come up with all of his brilliance and knowledge. No, he used the truth and the solidness of scripture to counter the lies of the enemy. And you and I need to remember that in order for us to counter any lies in our life, whether it's the enemy or something else, uh, we counter lies with the truth. And for the follower of Jesus, scripture is the source of truth for us. So we covered last week this, this temptation, number one, that there are options. Um, but the recap would be this. Hey, Jesus, listen, you're hungry. And there are options, Jesus, other than God to fill you, to meet your hunger and thirst. Look to these other options. And in our lives as well, there are counterfeits. There are options that are trying to meet the legitimate God-given needs that you and I were created with. And we're created in ways that God fills them through himself and through healthy relationships and people around us. But the enemy wants to use counterfeits to try to meet those God-given needs in disordered ways. We talked a little bit about how, how our desire for intimacy can so quickly be disordered and twisted to pursue sex uh, in an unhealthy way or pornography. And we mentioned other counterfeit lovers as well to draw our heart away from God, the options. And friends, listen, the enemy does not care what options you or I fall for. He does not care at all. He's just happy to keep us wandering and distracted and, and disconnected from God. So addiction, yeah, sure. Sure, that'll work. But, but if people-pleasing or busyness or religious performance or judgmentalism or the counterfeit lovers that we turn to to numb our hungers and thirsts, if that's what we go for, that's fine with him. That's totally fine with him. Well, that in Jesus' story, this first episode, we know that doesn't work, right? Okay, Jesus turns him away with scripture and some truth there. So the enemy now, we change the venue. The enemy takes Jesus to the top of the temple. So now we're in uh, Jerusalem. It's a little change of venue here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. Then the devil took him, Jesus, to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if, again, listen to this, <laughs> if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot with a stone. And then Jesus responds, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Okay, now interesting, did you notice here that the enemy twists scripture? Now the enemy uses scripture, which is really fascinating. Satan actually quotes Psalm 91 Verse 11 and 12, that thing that he said was in scripture. And it's fascinating. And again, this is a scheme of the enemy that we need to be aware of that Satan knows the scriptures, right? Satan knows the scriptures and he knows how to twist scripture in order to throw you and I into confusion or despair. So he will take scripture, which is truth, but twist it and we get sent off in directions again he doesn't care how he does it. As long as we are distanced from God and disconnected from God or shut down, he is happy to use whatever tool he can. 
So um, I want to say about this for just a moment. Uh, I know that oftentimes, has anybody read something in scripture that is absolutely confusing? No, really, I'm going to wait until people raise their hand. Is there... The rest of, look around the hands that aren't raised, go ask those people. They know stuff that we don't know. We need to know. Yeah, because I see stuff that's so confusing, and it sounds like most of us read things in Scripture that are confusing. And when there are passages in the Bible that, that are not just confusing, but seem condemning, like they will condemn you. And by the way, uh, condemnation and conviction are two different things, right? If a passage uh, causes me to be convicted, like, ooh, right? That points me back toward the right path. That's a good thing. That's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit uses conviction to bring us back to Jesus. But condemnation brings shame. It brings hopelessness, brings despair. So if you get confused by something in Scripture, and it sounds like God is against you, it sounds like you have no hope or you are isolated or you've gone too far this time. Um, that's a surefire sign that the enemy is using our confusion about scripture to bring condemnation, which is not how God operates towards his own children. So that's the difference between confusion and condemnation. If it's condemnation, the enemy will use it as a tool. Let's just recognize that that's what it is. And go, okay, I don't understand that one. Let's go talk to some people to help work through that or, or do some deeper study. So, Satan, again, Satan knows scripture and he twists it. But Jesus here, to answer him, what we just read a moment ago, he speaks the truth of scripture again. This time from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus says, The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. So what the, what the enemy is trying to do here is to press Jesus to test God. Make, make God prove, right, that he really, really is for you, Jesus. Make him prove that he cares. Jesus, just come on. Okay, fine, you're the son of God. Make him prove it. Make God prove that he cares. Now, we'll come back to this one, but let's read on to the third one, the next verse here, verse 8. Next. Next, the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Now, a little context. Let's check, check this out here. Um, up in until the point of the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, which has not yet happened at this point in the story where this episode with Jesus is. Remember, Adam and Eve had sinned and given over to the enemy all authority here on earth. And it's a big part of why Jesus came in the flesh, why God came in the flesh to take back lordship um, of this earth, to take it back from the devil. So, so when Satan says it is within his power to hand all of the kingdoms of the world to Jesus, he's not joking. And, and Jesus doesn't dispute that. And I'm wondering if... Satan, even as crazed in his uh, attack of Jesus, maybe he couldn't see it. But I wonder if Satan knew that, that this is why Jesus had finally come. That God was now here to take back the keys of death and the grave. To take back the authority over this world that the enemy had been given at the fall. So, so Satan says in this temptation, okay, listen, Jesus, you, you can have it, all of it. 
right here, right now. Just bow to me. I'll hand it over. You don't have to spend any more time living with these knucklehead disciples who don't understand you. You have to repeat yourself all over anyways. Jesus, Jesus, skip all this. Take the shortcut. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer betrayal and humiliation and ridicule. You don't have to experience excruciating pain and die. Just, just Jesus, just give me your heart and I'll give it to you quicker. Right? And that's the shortcut, right? Just give me your heart and I'll give it to you quicker. Now, interesting, as we read to Jesus' response here in verse 10, Jesus, watch this, he's going to do two things. One, he's going to tell Satan to get out of here. And two, he's going to, again, use the truth of Scripture, this time from Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. Verse 10, Matthew 4, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. Let's read that out loud together, just that first phrase. Ready? Together. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the Scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. I mean, you see that part of the story, right? Get out of here, Satan. Like this is again, very instructive for us as well. When we are being harassed by evil or even sense that there is some kind of foul spirit or something at work that seems dark in our life, we can do the same thing. We get to do the same thing. James chapter four, verse seven says, resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you, right? He will flee. So we just say, get away from me, Satan. And I think we say it out loud is probably the most helpful thing because the enemy can't read our minds. So tell him to go just like Jesus did. And by the way, with that, with that verse from James four, um, we have to resist, Right? When, it, when we're being oppressed, we can't just sit there and hope he goes away or say it nicely. Um, no resist. Like, okay, then no flee. The enemy's not going to go. And I think adding scripture is especially effective. So if you tell the enemy to leave and it doesn't seem like it's lifting, then go look for some scriptures and some truths to use in reminding yourself of the truth and declaring the truth so that evil will flee. Now... I want to spend just a few minutes talking about this temptation before we circle back to the previous one. Try to connect the dots for for how this works with you and I. Um, Again, what Satan does here in this passage is he offers Jesus a shortcut, a way to fulfill his destiny, his purpose, his his hunger, and and do it way more quickly, way more quickly. I have a, a desire for a Toyota Tacoma, a little pickup truck. Anybody? Gary has a beautiful one in the parking lot. Um, I have wanted one for, I don't know, probably 10 years. And I keep my eye out, and there's a few times where I really wish I had bought one, and now it's too late. And the price, these things hold their value, they're very handy. Um, I was driving another big, giant truck for quite a while, which made me want the smaller truck even, even more, right? Um, just really nice to have, good ride, very useful for moving stuff around. Well, Heidi and I were up um, camping this week uh, up north on, on the Mogollon Rim, and we pulled into a parking lot, and we pulled right up next to a beautiful steel gray Toyota Tacoma. I mean, it was the four doors, the big cab, the nice bed. It was in good shape. And by the way, I don't, it's, I'm not the guy that's like, I've got to have all the extras because I know that that's going to put it, it's already out of my price range, okay? All the extras I know are going to make it worse. So this was just a perfect one I pulled in. 
And I said, babe, that's it. That's, that's, I want one just like that. And uh, the tempter, I mean, Heidi says to me, she says, well, maybe they left the keys in it. <laughs> I don't think she's stolen a car for at least a few decades, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we could have pulled it off. But there you go. That's, uh, there's a shortcut, right? There's a shortcut. And the truth is we are all tempted to make different shortcuts in our life, especially when the desires of our heart are not being met fast enough. When that happens, a shortcut can seem very appealing, can't it? Um, I'm going to meddle for 60 seconds. Here's a shortcut that I think has plagued the church since the time of Constantine, the Roman emperor in the 300s. So we're talking most of the history of the church. The church gets tired of, of taking crap from people or maybe the politics or places that they get oppressed and persecuted, which again, I get it, right? We don't want to live that way. Um, but there is this shortcut that gets offered to the people of God here and there. We're tired of being on the short end of the stick, and so we want power. And so our shortcut to power is not to follow Jesus' path to power, which he outlines very clearly all through the New Testament. No, we want power, and the shortcut is that we're going to support whoever it is, whatever politician, left side or right, either one, that will give us or say they'll give us influence, and when they give some influence or some lip service to Christians, and again, this is not just us. This goes on all through history. Um, but we're going to excuse crazy behavior. We're going to allow stuff to happen, and because that's our guy, we're going to be okay with it because we think they're on our side. And, and so we want power. We get power. We want to keep power. And when we do that, and again, just read church history, we are not the first um, when we do that, we might have some power. We might have some influence. We might even elect our guy. But the rest of the world turns and looks and says, what light? Light of the what? Light of the world. What? And again, I'm not coming directly after, well, I am after our current political climate, but it's been this way. It doesn't matter who gets elected next uh, and, and who out of their Christian conviction you vote for, we, the people of God, have got to start holding accountable folks rather than letting people, whoever gets elected, letting them just get 